The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins from the Society of St. Pius V and Pastor of Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. Hello, Tom. Father, just last program we talked about uh, the reach of our What Catholics Believe program and how mm -hmm. we've uh, we've had correspondence in several several different countries uh, th throughout the, the globe. And just this week since that program, we've had a couple new New territories that we can add to the list, uh, Alberta, Canada, and also Nova Scotia. We've had emails from both of those, and just this week we've had uh, three or four different emails from new listeners who say they have just found us and they're extremely Wonderful. encouraged by the by the content. So I thought that it would be nice to start the program by reading this this short email we received well, from my viewer. I'm very Nova glad Scotia. to hear that. And, uh, you know, the fact that people do come across us, I consider that the work of the Holy Ghost guiding them. I'd like to think that those who uh, do know about us would also tell others about it. And maybe um, can you you can send a link to others too, can't you? If you find a program or a sermon that might be good for them to hear, yeah. so that'd be a good way to spread the, spread the word. Definitely. Let me just read this this email, Father. I thought this this was great. This this viewer says, "Good morning. I'm blessed to have found your videos. I'm located in Nova Scotia and left the Nova Sordo." after feeling something was wrong, but not sure what, other than taking away kneeling more and more. I attend a monthly mass from a French traditional priest who travels the Atlantic provinces. God bless and thank you from the bottom of my heart for giving us the info we were never taught. That well, thank nice. you. That's beautiful. Yeah. You know, certainly much appreciated. God bless them, too. Definitely. And uh, I hope they can share that with others, too. Yeah. 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 All right, then, Father, let's dig into some of our questions here. This this one I thought was pertinent, seeing as how uh, today is actually the octave day of, of All Saints Day. We had a, a question about the, uh, the the prayers for the, the All Souls Day indulgence, and this viewer says, Can the prayers during this week for our departed souls be conducted in churches consecrated after Vatican II? Well, churches can be dedicated or consecrated. Consecration is more of a, a serious ceremony. But if you're talking about post-Vatican II, which is the Novus Ordo, the New Order, I would say certainly not, in the sense that the Church, the true traditional Catholic Church, um, never would have sanctioned the Novus Ordo in the first place, and would certainly, as she has already in many of her decrees in the, in the past, condemned the elements of the Novus Ordo liturgy. Um, you know, some people think that the Novus Ordo is uh, is de debatable, you know, <laughs> whether or not is it, it is against Catholic teaching or not. But if you look in in past, before Vatican II, at the Church's pronouncements, um, she has condemned the Novus Ordo for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, these were all Protestant innovations that had been brought in for the centuries before Vatican II, and the Church spoke up and condemned them. For example, I mean, in the Novus Ordo, you find uh, the Novus Ordo Mass, right? <clears throat> uh, the expression over and over again that it is a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Well, we all know that the, the Mass, the true Mass, is a sacrifice. We know that the true Mass is a sacrifice of praise, and we know that the true Mass is a sacrifice of thanksgiving. The trouble is, that's all the new Mass is. What makes the true Mass, essentially, the true Mass is that it is the unbloody sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary. It is, it is essentially the same sacrifice. And uh, that puts it apart from a mere sacrifice of praise and a mere sacrifice of thanksgiving. I mean, you can offer a sacrifice of praise. I can offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Only our Lord Jesus Christ can offer the sacrifice of reparation for sin. That he did on Calvary. <clears throat> that sets this traditional Mass apart from all other services and all other sacrifices. That is why in the traditional Mass, when the priest begins the offertory, he holds up the hosts and he addresses Almighty God 
And he says he is offering this oblation, a sacrifice, in reparation for his own sins, for the sins of all those present, for the sins of all the members of the church, past and present, okay? In other words, this is for the offering of sacrifice for all of those who will be justified and sanctified. And uh, there's only one sacrifice that can possibly be. That is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Lord, on the cross. None other than that. So when the Novus Ordo and its offertory ignores that, or actually has expunged that entirely from the Novus Ordo so-called offertory, they're offering bread and wine is what they're offering. That's what they say. They're saying it'll become our spiritual food and our spiritual drink. That's what they say, whatever that means. <clears throat> so the point is that the, the, the new Mass is not the traditional Mass. It is not the unbloody sacrifice of Calvary. It was never intended to be the unbloody sacrifice of Calvary. It was intended to replace the unbloody sacrifice of Calvary <clears throat> and simply make the true Mass go away. That was the original intention. Now, knowing that, that the Church has actually condemned the Novus Ordo in, in its, its various elements, what really makes it the, no, the new order, the Novus Ordo, it would be antithetical for, to the Catholic faith for a person to tr go to a Novus Ordo to offer the prayers, uh, which the Novus Ordo uh, basically denies, and, and uh, the intentions are diametrically opposed to what the Novus Ordo stands for. So uh, I would say to a person, uh, don't go to a novice of a church to offer those prayers. Um, the church has allowed us to go to a cemetery. The church has allowed us to gain the indulgence in a cemetery. We should go there to the cemeteries and we should pray. Uh, they unfortunately have been defiled in many ways. Even the once Catholic cemeteries have been defiled. But the church, in her, uh, in her law, says that we can go to the cemetery, we can offer the prayers for the deceased, uh, fulfilling all the other requirements uh, for a plenary indulgence. So I would say, go to the cemetery and offer those prayers, uh, rather than go to a Novoservo church, certainly. Uh, when, I, when I just said, Tom, by the way, that the, the Novoservo is... is against the very intentions for which the prayers are offered. First of all, hardly ever does the Novus Ordo even talk about purgatory. But not only that, but one of the intentions uh, of a true Catholic Holy Father, a true Catholic Pope, for which those prayers are offered is for the conversion of sinners. And the Novus Ordo says, don't try to convert sinners. That's, that's uh, what do they call it, uh, uh, proselytizing, and it's anti-ecumenical, right? A sin against ecumenism. It's a sin against ecumenism. So why would you go to a Novus Ordo church and pray for that intention when the Novus Ordo says, you can't do that, that's a sin against ecumenism. And uh, you certainly wouldn't want them to do, pray that they're converting to the Novus Ordo anyway. So, I mean, th that's a good question, and the, the individual who asked that question might think, gee, Father Jenkins doesn't like my question. Uh, quite the contrary. I mean, I think it's a very important question to have raised, and there are probably a lot of people who are wondering that quite, about that right now. So I'm glad you raised the question. And uh, I just I get a little vehement about it because, uh, it because it actually is a good question, and because I, I care about it so much, and uh, you wouldn't ask the question if you didn't care about it so much, and I uh, take it very seriously, what you're asking there, okay. as you can tell. <laughs> sure. Well, very good. Thank you, Father. I appreciate sure. that. Uh, let's move on then to a, uh, a question about, about parenting here. This viewer says that a friend of mine told me that if parents taught their children nothing more than the virtues, their children would never leave the faith, and they would get along well with everyone in the world, too. It is good to know what is going on in the world, but I don't think this is the most important. The most important thing is to learn how to be virtuous and to live a holy Catholic life. Comments? <clears throat> well, um, when you say teaching children the virtues, that's a very broad statement. Uh, and I'm not sure exactly what they mean by that. Do they mean rather than teach them math and science and English and grammar and so on, just focus on virtues. And even if they just focused on virtues, they would be eliminating a lot of the catechism. Because much of the catechism talks about things 
other than virtues, except for the fact that everything in the Catechism is a matter of faith, obviously, so that must involve the virtue of faith. But nonetheless, I mean, even talking about the gifts of the Holy Ghost, the gifts of the Holy Ghost are not the virtues. If one taught only the virtues, then technically speaking, uh, strictly speaking, uh, one would exclude teaching the gifts because you're teaching only the virtues, and the gifts and the virtues are not the same thing. The virtues of the Holy Ghost, uh, the, the gifts, the gifts of the Holy Ghost, rather, are passive powers that God gives to us, that the Holy Ghost gives us to make us receptive. They're receptive powers to receive His influence. It is through these gifts that the actual graces come to the soul to enable us to do the virtues. The virtues are ours, okay? The, 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 the uh, gifts of the Holy Ghost come from the Holy Ghost. The virtues are the powers that are within us. They're the active powers that enable us to respond to the grace of God. And um, faith is what I do, I believe. Hope is what I do, I hope. Charity is what I do. I love my intellect and my will are do it, performing these actions of faith and open charity. Those are the virtues. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, to receive the influence of the Holy Ghost, we have to receive the gifts of the Holy Ghost to open, as it were, a channel to the soul for the influence of the Holy Ghost, sort of like the clouds parting and the sun shines through to the earth, you know. Uh, some even liken the difference between the virtues and the, and the gifts as though <clears throat> we were a ships and the virtues are the oars and the gifts are the sails that enable us to catch the influence of the Holy Ghost. There are various, various ways that this is expressed. but uh, So it's, it's not enough just to teach the virtues because <clears throat> the faith is about much more than the virtues. Ultimately, of course, God wants us to live the virtues. That's the ultimate. That's the ultimate goal: to live our faith, to live our hope, to live our charity, especially uh, insofar as that makes everything else fruitful. <clears throat> and uh, and then all of the other virtues: prudence, justice, fortitude, temperance, and all of the associated virtues that are included within those cardinal virtues, as we call them. Yes, that is the, the active life of, uh, of living the virtues. But um, again, I mean, even these, living these virtues, are meant, meant to bring us through the ages of the, of the interior life. Uh, you have the, the three ages of the interior life. And, um, you know, that the, the first age is overcoming our vices and our habits and purging. It's called the purgative way, uh, purging our weaknesses, replacing them with strengths, virtues, right? The second age of the spiritual life or the interior life is the, called the illuminative way, wherein God begins to guide the soul and raise the soul to a greater understanding, appreciation, a deeper faith, uh, the mysteries of faith. God gives the, the soul insights by inspirations to the faith that are just beyond a mere knowledge of the catechism. And uh, the unitive way, the third level, uh, is really the way of contemplation, which does not involve the virtues. So you, you could even say that the ultimate goal, even here in this world, the unitive way, is not really the active virtue life. It, it is the way of the active virtues um, that has come to fruition in God illuminating the soul or enlightening the soul with with a, a understanding of Him and a, and a wisdom. Well, wisdom. That we have to say ultimately the ultimate gift of wisdom, whereby God Himself is active in the soul, in the will, in the mind, illuminating, enlightening the mind, and strengthening the will with with uh, divine grace, divine love. So. It is actually the perfection of the gifts that is necessary ultimately. Um, so I'd, I'd have to disagree with, depending on whether I understand what uh, the person is saying, that that is the sum and substance of everything. Not only that, not only that, but I'd, I'd even go a little farther on that. <clears throat> In terms of the virtues, um, 
The virtues are strengths, and strengths are meant to be active, and they're meant to be active in such a way that they um, that they stand firm against challenges. You know, and uh, you you have youngsters who are very sheltered, and we we have to shelter them. We have to shelter them, and so, but insofar as we we also have to strengthen them and get them ready for combat, because this is the church militant after all. And I think it's rather naive for somebody to say, if we just teach them the virtues, they'll never leave the faith. Because uh, we've seen <clears throat> youngsters who have been uh, sheltered to the point where they were never tested, tried. They never had to grow in virtue and strength. Uh, they were never, their consciences, let's say, were never formed because they did not have the battle. And uh, when they got out into the world, they were simply um, blown away by the winds of the world because they didn't have the fortitude uh, necessary to stand their ground and, uh, or the virtues of temperance developed sufficiently in them to resist the temptation for pleasures and, and so on. So the parent's job is actually <clears throat> to... Um, uh, give the children faith, hope, and charity, uh, real love for God, well, there are the virtues, true. And to instruct them in prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance, and all of the other virtues, modesty and honesty and so on, that are contained within them. Um, but that always involves a, a uh, fortifying of the conscience and a development of the conscience, which uh, requires challenges. And um, and battles, and uh, you know, Saint Paul talks about the armor for a reason, and the weaponry, you know, so um, necessary to fight the fight the battle. So I I'd like to talk to the individual who wrote that and ask exactly what you mean. Do you mean this? Do you mean that? But on the face of it, I would say that I, I don't think that's uh, that's enough. You you have to give them more than that. I think St. John Bosco would insist on the same on the same thing. Yeah, that's, that's a very, very interesting discussion, Father. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, I'd, I'd like to, to jump into this other email that, that we just recently received from a viewer who, uh, who has been in Rome for some time now. And, uh, he says that I've been doing visiting and some studying of the churches in Rome. I'm finding the stories you tell about Rome very helpful because I'm seeing some of these places firsthand. Hmm. It goes without saying that most people assume that St. Peter's Basilica is the center of the Catholic Church. Hmm. There's nothing more iconic today as a symbol of Catholicism than seeing that basilica, and especially Michelangelo's dome. But I see a contradiction when, research, when researching the basilicas of Rome. Everything I've read says that St. John in the Lateran is actually the mother church and the first church in Catholicism. Furthermore, the Basilica is also a cathedral, the Cathedral of Rome, while St. Peter's is not even a cathedral. I don't understand why all the focus is on St. Peter's and not on St. John Lateran. It just seems that an unbalanced amount of importance is placed on that church. Why is this so? Well, probably for two reasons. Right? One of them, the body of St. Peter is buried under the high altar of St. Peter's Basilica. That's why the Basilica was built there by Constantine. Um, so that would automatically draw a great deal of attention. The, the, the fact that the, the original church that Constantine built about the year three, four years or so, or even before that, was built such it was oriented so that the, the, the high altar was directly over the grave of St. Peter. And the church now that's been there since 1626 um, has its high altar oriented right over the altar of Saint, uh, right over the altar of Constantine, which is right over the body of Saint Peter. So that is obviously going to be a, a great place of pilgrimage um, for all Catholics, as it was actually in the earliest centuries when uh, the Catholics of the Empire would come, even during times of persecution, to that very spot, long before there was a church on the site. The grave of St. Peter stood alone, and it was a place of pilgrimage. And those who were there uh, left their, uh, their prayers for prayers, their, their uh, invocations to St. Peter. 
stretched into the masonry of the wall, the red wall that was built there, uh, to protect St. Peter's grave from being overrun by the Hippogea that were being built up the Vatican Hill. But in any case, uh, Tom, it is true that St. John Lateran is the mater et caput omnium ecclesiarum, the mother and the head of all the churches throughout the world. And it is because it was the first uh, basilica, the first great uh, building granted by Constantine, gifted by Constantine to the church. It was given to the Pope not only to be his residence, but the imperial hall of judgment and so on, uh, where the emperor presided with his all of his great imperial authority, was given for our Lord to preside in the Mass. And so when it's called a basilica from Basileus, or Basileus, the Greek word for emperor, right? Uh, now it is Christ who is the emperor. And this is given over not to the Pope as the emperor, but to Christ, uh, Jesus Christ as the spiritual emperor of mankind. Also, not just the spiritual emperor too, but he is the king of mankind in all aspects of human life, right? From the soul all the way down to the minutest sub-molecule, sub, uh, subatomic particle, everybody. I mean, he is the creator of all, he's the redeemer of all mankind. So, uh, but Constantine was basically announcing that, or stating that. He acknowledged that by giving that church to the Pope, St. John Lateran. Uh, so, it is no wonder that the church regards that moment as a great turning point and that church as the great monument of uh, the church's triumph over paganism. Um, In the church, St. John Lateran, you have, uh, oddly enough, a Gothic altar, but there, in the Gothic altar, you have half of the wooden altar that St. Peter used to offer Mass in Rome, even back before the time of Nero. And the, the other part of that altar is in the, the, um, the church of uh, Santa Pedenciana, um, near, near uh, Santa Maria Maggiore, where St. Peter was the guest of the senator of Rome named Pudens. Um, so having St. Peter's altar there encased within the altar at St. John Lateran is very symbolic. <clears throat> and also the busts of St. Peter and St. Paul that are, are the large, large silver busts uh, containing uh, you know, relics of St. Peter and St. Paul there above that altar. They're, they're very significant. Uh, you find there the heroic statues, monumental statues of the apostles, uh, quite breathtaking, taking in their, not only their artistry, but just the dynamism of them, you know. Uh, it's amazing to, you can get, make stone, give the sense of, well, movement, you know, and strength. Um, not just static strength, but dynamic strength, but they are there. You know, that is, it is clearly uh, coming through in those statues of the apostles. So there's no doubt about the fact that St. John Lateran, uh, has a certain power of its own. People go to St. Peter's because of its, probably because of its size and size, and because it's more of the tourist attraction than St. John Lateran. <clears throat> uh, I will tell you this: I find it, if you were to compare, easier to pray. It's easier to pray in St. Uh, in St. John Lateran, in a sense, than it is in St. Peter's, just because of all the hustle and bustle in St. Peter's. And um, um, but there are various things about St. John Lateran that I'm very attached to myself. I mean, you look at St. Peter's and there's just so much that is there. I mean, it just, just kind of overawes the eye. And um, but uh, at St. John Lateran, you have um, some very remarkable things. For example, you go to the what is supposed to be the Blessed Sacrament altar. And you find enshrined above that part of the table of the Last Supper. So the, the, the high altar at St. John Lateran containing a good portion of the altar that St. Peter used in Rome, but also the part of the altar of the Last Supper, 
It's right there, above the Blessed Sacrament altar. Um, and it's very beautiful. <coughs> you also find some peculiar things there. You find unique things. You find some marble columns that are there, <coughs> uh, one on each side, I think. I don't think it's four. I think it's just two that, uh, that have come from the Colosseum. They're part of the Colosseum at one time, curiously enough, uh, that flanks St. John Lateran. Also on St. John Lateran, you have the, the, the original doors of the, the Curia, the Senate building of Rome, were brought, brought from the, um, the Forum, the Roman Forum, and mounted there as doors to St. John Lateran. All of this signifying the fact that Imperial Rome, uh, Republican Rome, they all are paying homage, in a sense, you know, to the imperial dignity of Jesus Christ. So, um, and across, just across the street from St. John Lateran, you have the Scala Sancta, the Holy Stairs, brought by St. Helena from Jerusalem, reconstructed there, to which, even to this day, uh, pilgrims flock from all over the world and go up the Holy Stairs on their knees, praying as they go. A beautiful devotion. Um, realizing that our Lord mounted those stairs and came down those stairs, condemned to death, and his own blood was on those stairs. So the stairs are actually sheathed in oak, evidently, <clears throat> and uh, worn oak because, uh, you know, it's very uneven, makes it a little difficult to kneel on. But just to shield the marble of the stairs themselves, but there are places when you can touch the marble and, uh, you know, even place rosaries on it and so on. Um, there, there are things about St. John Lateran that, that are very clear indications that that really was uh, the center of the Catholic life. And the popes resided there. They didn't really reside in St. Peter's. The popes resided there for centuries at St. John Lateran. The popes resided at St. John Lateran much, much longer than they resided at St. Peter's. Because um, that, that was considered the official papal, papal residence. It was only um, when the Pope had to flee to the Vatican, uh, to St. Peter's, basically, to, because he was threatened, that um, the Pope's had been in residence there. So anyway, uh, just to uh, respond, uh, hopefully respond a little bit to our, <laughs> to our questioners. Yeah. Uh, you know, Father, Father, sometimes when, when talking of, of the, these different churches in Rome, this uh, question that sometimes comes up, is we've received emails about this before, of uh, is it safe for the faithful to actually go in and visit all of these churches and kind of walk around in these because of the fact that some that communion in the hand has happened there and there may possibly be particles of the host on the floor. Uh, it's It's been my understanding, I, I've been told that... Um, in the Diocese of Rome, that communion in the hand is supposed to be prohibited, uh, but it's actually been, been witnessed there on a regular basis, actually happening. So if this communion in the hand is happening in these different churches, is it safe for the faithful to actually go in and possibly be walking on particles mm -hmm. of the host? Well, if I didn't think so, I wouldn't be taking students there, you know. But I do think it is safe to go okay. uh, for various reasons. Okay, one of them is... Uh, that uh, I think the prohibition against hand communion exists throughout Italy. At least, I think that's what's on the, on the books. And uh, the only time I witnessed communion in the hand uh, personally, while I was in Rome, or while I have been in Rome, since the, studying there, <clears throat> uh, was when I was a seminarian there with a religious order, and within the house of the religious order, despite the prohibition, they would sometimes give hand communion. Uh, I've heard reports of it being given at um, Novus Ordo celebrations by <coughs> priests, clergymen, Novus Ordo clergymen from various other parts of the world where they're in the habit of doing this. I even heard about Cardinal Swayans, uh, who was a radical to the hilt, uh, taking a, a ciborium of hosts and just throwing them to the winds for people to, uh, to I guess, grab out of the air or pick off the ground or whatever. Now, I, I haven't verified that. I, I just heard a story about that while he was in Rome. Um, 
but uh, I would I would think anyway that it is very unlikely that this was really the Blessed Sacrament. Maybe it's wishful thinking, because I wish I, I I certainly have reason, good reason to believe the Novus Ordo itself is invalid. I certainly hope it is, because we see the sacrileges that are foisted upon our Lord day in, day out in the Novus Ordo, and I hope that's just bread that they're abusing, and not the real body of Christ, which would be the most horrible sacrilege conceivable. Uh, but in any case, I, I would tend to say that I would, I would not believe that this was valid. These were valid consecrations, if this is what they, what they think of the, of the host. Um, because they have to be downright Satanists to say, this is the body of Christ, I believe it's the body of Christ, and look what I'm going to do to it. You know? Now some of them may well be Satanists. <clears throat> um, under the guise of, and it's a thin guise in some cases, of Novus Ordo clergymen, you know, because of what they do to the host. Um, but uh, among the Novus Ordo clergy, uh, there's a very great uh, disbelief in the real presence of our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament. So at least I have the comfort of knowing that the most egregious examples of, of, of uh, abuses clearly would not be valid, uh, not be consecrated valid. And um, on top of that, I mean, they, they, they do, and this is the saddest of all, I guess, uh, reasons, they, they clean those floors very thoroughly, quite regularly. Um, and if they, um, if they do give hand communion, it is in very limited areas, I think, I think, as far as I know, of the basilicas in any case. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I think it is safe to go in and to visit them and to pray there. Okay. Um, without fear of treading on the Blessed Sacrament there. Sure. By the way, you know, our previous question raised an interesting point about the St. John Lateran being the Cathedral of Rome. And St. Peter St. Peter's not being. They're both basilicas or archbasilicas. But the cathedral is where the bishop resides, and the bishop of Rome is a true pope. So oddly enough, we have an anomaly here where the popes, Pope Pius IX, uh, Leo XIII, St. Pius X, lived in the Vatican and lived, you might say, at St. Peter's uh, of necessity because of the fall of Rome to the uh, the leftist, the revolutionaries, under Garibaldi. But the cathedral has always been St. John Lateran. That has not changed. And to this day remains the Cathedral Church of Rome. Okay. Uh, Father, I thought it would be fun to move on to something a little lighter concerning uh, Pope Francis here. Couldn't, couldn't go a whole program without mentioning him. I guess not. I <laughs> Uh, speaking in his weekly audience in St. Peter's Square in Rome, Pope Francis said that Mass was a time for prayer and not a show. Quote, at a certain point, the priest leading the ceremony says, lift up our hearts. He doesn't say lift up our mobile phones to take photographs. It's a very ugly thing. It's so sad when I'm celebrating Mass here or inside the Basilica and I see lots of phones held up, not just by the faithful, but also by priests and bishops. Please. But how, how hypocritical is it for, for Francis the Modernist to say something like this when it's modernism that has made a circus of the Mass and, and now Pope Francis is, is chiding people for treating it like a circus when that's what that, that was their goal? I agree. I agree, Tom. It is hypocritical, and uh, it, um, he's, a, he's a man of contradictions. But this is quintessential modernism. Modernism is... Uh, a maze of contradictions, right? and um, part of it is a tactic. What, he, what could he have spoken sincerely about that? He might find it very irritating to see all these cell phones taken out. He might just find it very irritating, and be speaking from that level. And you have to remember what does he mean by prayer? What is he talking about by prayer? Is it what we as Catholics mean by prayer, lifting your heart and your mind to God? <clears throat> so is he is he actually saying the cell phones are a distraction? 
from what we're doing here. But what we're doing here, basically, is uh, we're doing Francis' version of prayer. And might cell phones be a, a distraction from Francis's version of prayer? Well, actually, yeah, they could be a distraction insofar as of what he's trying to create with prayer. For example, if you if you go back to uh, the days when he was just chosen uh, to be the Pope of the New Order, uh, circulating at that time was a video of a, of a children's puppet mass that he gave in a stadium in, I think it was Rio, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but anyway, it is the biggest show. You, could, you know, you saw it. And it is one big show in the stadium. Now, for Francis now to be talking like this, we would think, well, either he's undergone a massive conversion, some enormous metanoia, <laughs> so that now he has rejected all of that, uh, that he was praising and glorying in before and enjoying before, and now he wants to go back to some kind of pious prayer. Is it now Francis the Pious? Is that how he will now be named? Right? Uh, Francis, uh, the, 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 the crusher of smartphones, <clears throat> is that, well, we'll see him on the, uh, we'll see him on his holy card. Like you see Our Lady with her head on the serpent's, her foot on the serpent's head, and Francis will be there with his uh, slippered foot on the smartphone, crushing the smartphone. I mean, is this what we're going to see now? No, no, it's ridiculous. <clears throat> Unfortunately, he finds it distraction. The question that came to mind when I first read that is, this is totally antithetical to everything, every all the precedents that he said. The whole idea of liturgy that he's, that he's inculcated in people's minds all these years. But the second thing that came to mind is, why is he studying the crowd and looking at all the smartphones? <coughs> you know, when a priest offers a traditional Mass, but he turns around for, with the Dominus Sobiscum, he doesn't stare around at the people. He's not looking like this. You know, there's a there's a website. Uh, actually, it's a blog called uh, I can call me Jorge Jorge. You know, uh, that has a clip of Father McGuire's last mass, and he's there just uh, having a sort of dialogue, running dialogue with the people, even as he's supposedly praying. And it's a real performance, you know. And uh, but again, in the traditional mass. The priest did not do that. He would turn and say, Dominus Obiscum, but he wouldn't raise his eyes to look at the crowd. And uh, the only time the, the um, priest would actually look out at the, uh, at the assembly, the congregation, I would say, is during the sermon. And I, I don't think that people would necessarily be taking photographs during the sermon. I don't know. Maybe with Francis they are. But you have to remember, he's, he, he performs these spect spectacles. <clears throat> and when you have spectacles, you have maybe thousands of people, maybe tens of thousands of people gathering at his uh, outdoor liturgies, maybe millions, you know, they keep touting maybe a million people showed up for this liturgy here and this liturgy there. And they're tourists, and they come as tourists, and they don't come to pray. They come to, they come to his so-called masses or liturgies, as tourists, and of course they want pictures, of course they want to take photographs. They want to take photographs of the crowd, they want to take photographs of Francis off at his table, <clears throat> they want to take photographs of all the cardinals dancing back and forth, you know, and swaying to the music and all the rest. So who can blame these people? <clears throat> that this is how they're reacting to what they see as a performance. And uh, what Francis should be doing is, if, if he says any, if there's, if there's a, 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 uh, a scintilla of sincerity in him, what he should be doing is saying, gee, all these people, even my priests, even my bishops, <clears throat> have got their cell phones out. I mean, he was chiding his own, the, the clergy, the bishops were having cell phones out, <laughs> taking pictures, right, during his liturgies. You'd think he'd be saying, why are they all doing this? Why did they consider this some kind of a, a show? You know, what is this, Vegas? They came out to see Wayne Newton or whatever, out in Las Vegas, or some magic act? Why do they consider that to be appropriate behavior at my liturgies? That's what he should be asking himself if he were, if he were honest about it and serious about it, but he's not.
Um, it seems to me, just knowing the character that he's displayed, that he's just irritated by all this. <clears throat> and of course, he has to put, come up with some kind of pious reason for it, to, to protest it. And, uh, you know, when he's, when he's denouncing his uh, clergy, uh, even his so-called bishops for having their cell phones out, taking pictures at his performances, um, he uh, he's actually making a point, which is not the point he's stating. The point is that, in fact, even as you say, this is how they all re regard his liturgies, not as services to God, but as basically performances for them. Mm -hmm. how, how silly are these comments, too, when you, you remember his children's book that he wrote where he talks about him and his friends oh, making a mockery right uh, of, of, the, of the Latin Mass, the true Mass, you know, how they would, they would purposely bungle the responses and laugh about it and have mm -hmm. these jokes. That's, that's they were trying to trip up the priest, even with yeah. the traditional Latin Mass when he was a boy. That's, that's perfectly, and then laugh, perfectly in line with this idea of the Mass being some kind of show. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Francis says uh, this has been his, his, his style now, you know, he, he's constantly wanting to take these selfies with all, all of these young people and be mm -hmm. all hip and cool and fit in with all of them. He, he, he encourages mm -hmm. this stuff. This is, this is who he is. This is a persona that he's, that he's cultivated now for so long. But I, I think it's, uh, it's, eye-opening sometimes to, to imagine, mm -hmm. just to see how far we've fallen, to imagine a real Pope, someone like a St. Pius X. Imagine mm -hmm. if a St. Pius X were saying Mass mm -hmm. and saw one of his priests or one of his bishops out taking a selfie or something with the phone. <coughs> just, just imagine the, the difference. We would see the Holy Office issuing a, uh, a new canon to the Code of Canon Law for, with automatic excommunication, <laughs> specially reserved to the Holy See. For taking a selfie during the you know, mass, I mean, yeah. <laughs> this would have been uh, un unthinkable. This would have been unthinkable at such a time. But you know, again, it has to do with Francis' idea of prayer. If he's if he's saying these prayers that he's come up with, and uh, they're very meaningful to him, and he wants everybody involved and listening to what he's saying because he's saying it, and people are out there jostling around taking pictures on their phones, then he's going to be personally offended by that, because they're not joining with him in his prayers. And I think that's the problem that we're dealing with here. Um, uh, that he personally has been offended by that because they're not praying with Francis, but are, are basically uh, uh, intent on other things, distracted from him, not from our Lord. And I think that's what he considers prayer, listening to him. Yep. And, uh, you know, in saying that, it might seem rather insulting and, and maybe uh, even a little bit um, presumptuous. But when you, when you see his behavior in the past, I mean, I think it's, it's not a stretch. I don't think it's rash judgment or rash suspicion, even, to think that that's what's bothering him. Mm -hmm. um, so, anyway. Yeah. Last, last thing, Father, I'd like to, to get your take on some, some current events that have, that have been unfloating here in the States and uh, this, this Harvey Weinstein mm. scandal and, and the so-called ripple effect that has followed that. I'd like to, to get your take on this where uh, these dozens and dozens of, of women and men even have, have accused him of all of these, these terrible uh, impure crimes. And now it seems that that has started this this watershed where now there, there's just constantly every day uh, new new accusations coming out against uh, people in, in Hollywood mainly but but all over the, the media and the entertainment industry it seems that now uh, these these people these accusers are now gaining some kind of confidence and are, are starting to come out and report all of these these countless accusations and the list is just daily growing and growing and growing and there's this this picture emerging of of Hollywood and, and the entire media and entertainment industry of, of just absolute utter corruption and just mm. moral filth there and and I'd just like to get your, your take on all you know Tom, this was this was totally shocking we had no clue <laughs> yeah. we had no hint that there was some moral problem there I mean these people were the paragons of, of purity and of course, what, what do we expect, you know? How could it not happen? We know what's going on there. 
It's just the puzzlement was that it was so concealed. I mean, they were all hushing it up. The media was hushing it up. If they gloried, they gloried in their shame, their impurity. And they were all going along with it, smiling, because they were all benefiting from it. I mean, you had these men who were preying on women, and sometimes men. And the women were, were going along with it. I mean, they were all part of it. They were all part of it. They all used it to get ahead. I'm sorry, but it is true. And you know what a woman is who does that. And uh, that's what they are. I mean, they, they all did this, it seems, uh, <clears throat> to one extent or another. Uh, played into this. And they were all in it together, as far as I'm concerned. <clears throat> and um, now there's blood in the water, okay? Because uh, I guess one of them just made himself so abhorrent and so obnoxious <clears throat> that one person decided to put her foot down and say, I'm going to tell what's going on here, <clears throat> uh, because she was personally offended by it. And then all of a sudden you had the shark feeding frenzy, where they're all diving in now and uh, just uh, tearing each other to pieces. I understand those who haven't been attacked yet are waiting to be attacked. They're all lawyering up, as they say. I'm sure the lawyers in Hollywood are, are feasting, you know. The shark attack is one thing, but in this case, the shark, <laughs> the sharks <laughs> might really be feasting. Um, uh, you know, the, the sowing each other with all of their millions. <clears throat> and uh, and we have, we just scratched the tip of the iceberg here. And now there's one who's talking about uh, the, the child abuse. Mm -hmm and uh, going into all of that. And I say, well, what do you expect? I mean, this is something that has just completely glorified the passions. It's been like Mount Olympus with these superhuman sinners called gods, you know, like the pagans worshipped on Olympus. Well, here we've had our own Hollywood. <clears throat> and uh, it really is our Mount Olympus, uh, which is noted for the magnitude of its depravity. Um, and, um, you know, Tom, with regard to this whole thing, it's it's amazing what is suddenly coming out, not only there, uh, with regard to this, and, and, and people are fascinated by this coming out. They're, they're in wonderment at this, and the very things about these people that they admired, now all of a sudden, you know, they're denouncing as crimes and so on, and um, you, you know, people must be really scratching their heads over this and figuring out, well, wait a minute, uh, you mean there's been all of this corruption and perversion going on all this time and we didn't even suspect it? Well, that's, that's the amazing thing about it. Is this the work of God's grace that it all be exposed? I think so. I think it is. You know, devils do not like each other, right? But devils do not cast each other out, as our Lord pointed out, right? So there had to be some grace from God. And I'm not saying that God necessarily gave a grace to a Hollywood actress who had been put upon or imposed upon to do something virtuous. <clears throat> but I'm saying that God, by his grace, <clears throat> could um, allow even one of those um, to do this. The devil was the one who tried to hush all this up. And God, by his grace, can pop that bubble and uh, of the devils trying to keep this quiet <clears throat> and work against Satan in hushing all this up and letting it, it, it like like some some um, um, boil, you know, lancing the boil and let it all all the foulness, filth come out, so people can see what it is. And maybe our Lord is doing this uh, after uh, the celebration of Fatima. Lancing that boil for the good to see and to be vindicated, to be vindicated by their rejection of all that, you know, and maybe this is also to help the people who are confused and 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 tempted really see what's behind it, you know, unmask this thing. But I mean, we, we've also had the amazing things going on of what's happening politically. <clears throat> this book by Donna Brazil. Uh, basically, you know, you're reading every day now in the media about the the depths of the degradation and corruption in the Democratic Party, so-called, or as Bernie Sanders called it, the, the, the Democratic Party. <clears throat> how, how filthy and dis despicable it was, you know, with the uh, 
and with with Hillary Clinton and her behavior and the deals that were struck and all that, and they're all offended because again they've all they're all in this together really this this uh, political um, uh, corruption stuff. They all you know one hand washes the other and they they all make deals and all the rest. Uh, but when they cross each other to a certain point, <clears throat> somebody's going to get upset. And it's not necessarily because they're virtuous. It could be just that anger is erupting here, as inevitably it does. I mean, you know, they talk about Hitler and Stalin, you know, going at it in war. It's not because either one of them was virtuous. <laughs> you know, they were both e extremely corrupt individuals, right? This isn't a, a war between... Um, uh, Stalinism and Hitlerism or fascism and socialism. I mean, they're, they're both, they're all socialism, all forms of socialism. Uh, despite what the left has tried to, uh, how the left has tried to disguise it. So what we see here is a feeding frenzy uh, among the corrupt. They're attacking each other now. And um, again, God is allowing this to be seen. What people have seen, uh, talked about and have um, been denouncing for the longest time uh, corruption in the electoral process um, and uh, the corruption of the, of the politicians. It's all being laid out on the table for us. And I, I think it's a mercy from God to show what's really there and to basically tell people, look, this is the choice you have to make. You're either part of that or you're not. But you can't be neutral. And uh, I do believe that um, what the, the theory of some people when the night that Donald Trump was elected president back in November a year ago two years ago? a year, two year ago, ago. <laughs> sorry, time flies uh, we must be having fun so <clears throat> um, that they were shocked that the liberals, the leftists were shocked that Trump was winning and there was nothing they could do about it and uh, the theory that I, I believe has been proposed by others, not by me, <clears throat> that uh, they were caught flat-footed because they were all so arrogantly convinced that Hillary was going to win by a landslide. It never occurred to them that they had to resort to chicanery to win this election. Mm -hmm. And so they weren't prepared. They didn't have buckets of ballots stuffed away somewhere to suddenly produce miraculously to turn the tide. They were all predicting that they would come in, but they never did. <clears throat> and, uh, but I, I believe that uh, had, they, had they really feared that Trump would win and Hillary would lose, that they would have stopped at nothing. And looking at the corruption we're, we're, we're hearing about now, there's no doubt in my mind, and I think in a lot of other minds, that they would have done any dirty trick they, they would have had to do to secure the election for Hillary. Um, but they simply weren't prepared. It was their own arrogance that uh, left them uh, helpless in the face of uh, the election of Donald Trump. So um, now I fear that they, they realize that this can't happen, and they're not going to make that mistake twice, that they are going to do whatever they have to do to make the election turn out right. That is in their favor. And so I'll be very suspicious, you know, of uh, suddenly when the Democrats turn the tide and suddenly now they come out on top, that uh, it's because the American people have suddenly awakened to the realities of their virtues and Donald Trump's vices. And all of a sudden now we realize that the error of our ways in electing Trump and now we want to elect, uh, we regret not electing Hillary. I don't believe that. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't believe all that propaganda. <clears throat> no, I... Uh, Looking at the, the, the corruption of the party, even the, the work, workings within the parties, and the uh, shady dealings within the electrical, electoral process, and their determination to do away with the electoral college, which they consider to be their great enemy. You know, this, in my mind, is going to cast uh, a serious cloud over... Mm -hmm over elections in the future. We're going to have to be, uh, you know, the, the American people are going to be, have to somehow have m means at their disposal and that they employ just to make sure that the whole process isn't perverted. Mm -hmm. 
um, to elect some anointed, uh, you know, the devil's anointed, and have an empress, uh, Clinton. So anyway, uh, having said that, of course, I, I realize that none of, nothing I've said is, is controversial at all, <clears throat> or shocking to anyone, I trust. But just, you're mentioning this, this Harvey Weinstein Einstein thing, and uh, all of the other revelations that are come pouring out now about the corruption. I really do think it is God lancing this enormous boil full of the most rancid uh, uh, corruption. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, Father, an interesting discussion. I wanted to ask if you thought that this was a good trend of how it it seems that uh, we're seeing all of these these liberal behemoths, all of these um, heretofore untouchable mm-hmm. entities. That now it seems that they're the the um, you know that that the, the shackles have fallen from people's eyes, and it seems that it's a rather encouraging trend. That you know all all of the stuff with with Harvey Weinstein thing, and I uh, recently read his. Uh, the the first movie that his studio had had produced since then had had grossed some seven hundred thirty six dollars or something like that oh, and, you, and you're constantly reading these reports of how movie theaters are are empty every yeah. movie that that they produce now is just tanking not making any money yeah. uh, and, and so there, there's that you know the, you have the uh, the super ultra liberal ESPN network who who we hear we read reports of them how they're they're desperately fighting off insolvency. Well, you have the, 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 the NFL, NFL, the super the, ultra liberal NFL. Right. Their uh, advertisers are pulling out. Yeah, their 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 ratings <coughs> their ratings are plummeting. It seems that now the Clintons could could finally be done away with. It seems that uh, I guess we should never <laughs> never uh, never do forget about them completely. But it seems that that they're pretty much used up now, and it seems that we might finally be rid of them. Oh, they, they have been unmasked. Notice Bill has been very very quiet. Yeah, yeah, but it, it seems it seems that that uh, it's it's a rather encouraging trend, and that the grace is there, that the groundwork is being laid for all of this cultural rot to just be upended and done away with. And it seems that that the groundwork is being could be be being laid there for us, and all we have to do is take advantage well, of that. There's a problem with that, though, too, Tom. That the corrupt admire corruption, and when someone is corrupt. He admires those who are corrupt and even more corrupt than he is. So like a devil has a certain admiration and subservience to a, um, a worse devil. There's a hierarchy among the devils too, of course, even as there are among the good angels. And um, so, <clears throat> as I said, Lansing this morning, getting all the corruption, there are people who have a real taste for that corruption. And what it's going to do is it's going to be a dividing line. People are going to be gravitate to one or the other, and the, yeah. the battle lines are going to be drawn up more and more better defined now. I think this is an indication, again, of, of the proximity of the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the, 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 the battle lines, so to speak, are, for, are forming there. But we have to hope and pray for our own country that our American uh, people still have enough decency, basic virtue, that there's enough basic virtue in them. Even if there's only enough natural virtue, that they will find corruption abhorrent to them. And they will turn toward faith, hope, and charity, the supernatural virtues. Um, I fear that there are so many people in the American Republic, right, what was the Republic of America, <clears throat> who are so corrupt um, that they will gravitate to this filth and this evil and um, become enamored, enamored of it and declare themselves for it. I mean, here we are. <clears throat> Look at all of the, of the, of the filth and the, the appalling uh, chicanery that is coming out now <clears throat> about the workings of the Democratic Party. And uh, in the last presidential election in particular, and we just had elections in Virginia, in New Jersey, and we have Democrats being elected there. Now the story is that the Republicans they defeated were actually rhinos, that they were not, you know, uh, real conservatives. They were more or less uh, just sort of uh, sympathizers, basically liberals, 
uh, with bumper stickers, you know, saying Republican. Um, and it's easy to see why they would be defeated. You know? But uh, still, I mean, there are obviously enough people who are either going to vote, enough people who are going to vote Republican or something with the electoral process that'll make it turn out with, I'm sorry, Democrat, who will vote Democrats. Or there are enough who can manipulate the process to make the Democrat win. And everybody just bows their heads and say, okay, well, I guess that's the way it has to be. The Democrats are born again. That's what I saw a headline today. The Democrats are born again now. It was the election of a Democratic governor in Virginia, and uh, the, the, uh, also the election results in New Jersey and so on. Um, this is something that I fear. So uh, I do believe, even as you're saying, that the lines are being drawn here, but I just fear that so many have been so corrupted that uh, they will choose... Uh, They'll, they'll choose the corruption rather than where there is true virtue. Mm -hmm. We have to pray and sacrifice for our country. We have to pray for our country. We ask our Blessed Mother, our uh, patroness, under the title of the Immaculate Conception, to have mercy, to plead with Almighty God to grant the graces to spare our country, uh, the worst of it, and to at least... Uh, Give to the poor souls, wandering souls out there, the grace to find their way to the foot of the cross, to the true Mass, the true sacraments, the true faith. Definitely. Thanks for being here tonight, Father. Yeah, appreciate your time. time. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima, to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you.